Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Neil Ross, voice of many of your favorite cartoon characters. And you're listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Springer here, and you are listening to all things Transformers. Trump and Hot Rod just bought it. I can't deal with that now. Hello and welcome to the latest crossover interview with all things Transformers in the TFG1 podcast from the GeekCast Radio Network. I am one of your hosts, TFG1 Mike. Joining me is Optimus Solo. Hello. How's it going, Mike? It's it's going. It's been a while since you've been on one of these shows. Actually, you've never well, you've been on a few of the interviews, but you've never actually been on the TFG One podcast. But it's been a while since you've been on all things Transformers. Anyway, today we would like to welcome the voice of Hook, Springer, Commander Keith from Voltron, Shipwreck from GI Joe, Howard Sands from Gem and the Holograms, and everything else he's done, Mister Neil Ross. Yay! Hey, hooray! I don't remember any of those characters. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, then, then, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be the shortest interview ever because it just nullified all of our questions that we're going to ask Mister Ross. <laughs> I'm, I'm being silly. I just seem to recall two of those characters. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, how are you? First of all. Uh, not too bad. I, um, I I came down earlier in the month with this terrible virus, and that's all gone, but it's left me uh, utterly exhausted. But uh, today I feel pretty good. So. Excellent. Sorry to hear that, but I'm glad you're here, feeling better now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, this thing hit me like a ton of bricks, I'll tell you. And... Uh, well, not, not, I mean, we're not here. This isn't a medical show. <laughs> let's not, let's dwell on it, but I'm glad we waited, uh, you know, until this week to do it last week. Before we get started, can you give us the scoop on what is going on, the, on in the world of Neil Ross? Any upcoming projects that you're allowed to talk about? Well, that is the uh, conundrum, because I'm sure you guys know by now that in, in a lot of cases they ask us to sign non-disclosure agreements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I reveal uh, anything uh, involving their precious little concept, uh, my firstborn child is taken away, and <laughs> God knows what else. So I'm very—I I don't talk about a lot. I, about all I can tell you for sure is uh, I was the announcer on the AFI Life Achievement Award telecast this year, saluting Steve Martin. Uh, the show already aired on TBS, but there's a rerun on TCM, Turner Classic Movies. Mm-hmm. And that'll be this Thursday, the 30th. Uh, it's going to run at 8 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. East Coast time. If you're interested, uh, insult your local listings. You mean consult, not insult. Oh, did I... <laughs> The virus must be coming back. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> when all else fails, blame Megatron. <laughs> all right. Uh, where did you grow up, for those that don't know? Well, I grew up a lot in a lot of different places. I was born in London, England, and but uh, left when I was two mm-hmm. years old. Uh, uh, I almost stole a Steve Martin line. I was going to say I I abandoned a wife and two children, but um, that's his line. Anyway, we moved to uh, Canada, 
and I spent uh, the next uh, 10 years in, in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And then, and in those days, this is, I'm, we're now talking 1957, uh, we hopped on a plane and went to California, which in those days was like going to the, going to Mars. Uh, I believe it's still that way today. <laughs> maybe, I, you know. Uh, anyway, I spent the rest of my youth in places like Long Beach and uh, San Diego, California. And then when I matriculated, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the Internet, <laughs> uh, the, the great adventure began. But that's that, basically uh, Montreal, Canada and a couple of cities in California be the short answer. Did you always want to be an actor, or did you have any inclination of being a voice actor at all when you were, you know, in your youth? Well, it's funny. Uh, I'm in the process of writing a book about my, my life, and you can sort of see where things fell into place, but did I have some sort of master plan? No. I, I found myself fascinated by voices and accents at a very early age, uh, mostly listening to the radio or a few records that I, I had. And, uh, you know, I would, I would sit around and try to imitate things I heard, not with any thought of making a career out of it. It was just something that was fun to do. You know, some kids build uh, model airplanes. I sat in my room and talked to myself. Um, and then, when I got into my teens, I, I was sucked into the devil's uh, vortex, rock and roll music. And the only way to hear that in those days was to find uh, the few radio stations that would play it. And I spent a lot of time listening to rock and roll radio stations. And gradually, I began to pay attention to what happened in between the records. And I began to be fascinated by these disc jockeys. And suddenly, at the age of 16, I thought, God, I, that's something I could do. I, I seem to have no aptitude for anything except, uh, you know, being an idiot in the back of the classroom and cracking up my friends with armpit farts. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's not, uh, maybe I could be a disc jockey. So that's what I did. And... Um, I, be, I, I once you get in a radio station, you realize there's more to it than you, you, you thought when you were on the outside. Mm -hmm. And uh, every radio station has two studios. One is the air studio, and that's where the disc jockey does his or her thing. But then the other is the production studio, and that's where they pre-record commercials and promotional announcements and all of these various gizmos. And I found that I had sort of an aptitude for the production room. I actually did my best work in there. I was not that great of a disc jockey ever, really. And, uh, you know, I, uh, my ability to do character voices and, and, and this sort of thing uh, was much prized by the sales department because I could create these really interesting commercials that they could go out and sell. Uh, but, uh, you know, I began to think that... Uh, you know, my full potential was not being realized. And all along, I, I'm paying attention to these people that I hear voicing national television commercials, national radio commercials, people who are voicing cartoon shows, people who are narrating documentaries. And I'm thinking, who? I'm, I'm turning into Seinfeld. I'm thinking, who are these people <laughs> that do this work? And I sort of had this, uh, I mean, you know, everybody knows about voiceovers now. It's common knowledge but back then no you never heard about it and i had this sort of working theory that well maybe they're on camera people who do this stuff on the side to make a couple of extra bucks and then one day i vividly remember in the parking lot of uh, kcbq radio in san diego where i was working i was talking to a record promoter and he suddenly blurted out the phrase voiceovers and scarcely daring to hope, I said, what the hell's voiceovers? He says, oh, you know, co commercials, promos, cartoons. And I said, you mean you, there's just a business that just does that? You can make a living? He says, make a living? And he threw out the name of a particularly successful guy. He said, he's a multimillionaire, and all he does is voice work. 
And I said, well, I, uh, that's for me. I, I had no thought of becoming a multimillionaire, but I thought, if I can make a living doing that kind of work, it, it's just about the perfect fit for somebody with my weird little bag of tricks. And it took me another 10 years to do anything about it, but uh, I, I segued out of radio and into voiceovers. And that happened in the early 80s. Did you have any uh, favorite disc jockeys, radio shows, um, television shows, cartoons that you had growing up? That you, you, know, you mentioned listening to some of those. Did you have some favorite people or shows that you listened to? Yeah, I, we, we didn't have a television set for a long, long time. My parents resisted it. And uh, you couldn't go to the movies in Montreal back then. I don't know if it's changed. They had had a terrible fire in a theater in the 40s, and a lot of children died. So they essentially said no one under 18 can go to the movies unless they put on 50 extra ushers and the fire department is standing by. So very seldom could you get into the movies in Montreal when I was a kid. So I saw very, very few cartoons, but I listened to a ton of radio, radio comedy, radio drama, uh, it was really, you could hear stuff from the States, uh, you could hear stuff from the BBC that was extremely well done, and you could hear stuff, uh, Canadian-produced uh, stuff, drama, cop shows, just kind of like primetime television, only it was all on radio. And I had uh, a, a number of favorites. Uh, we listened to the Jack Benny show a lot which I still hear on the satellite radio, and it's funny, it holds up. It, it's, you know, a different era, but the comedy still works. But in the middle of all of this, I discovered, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, it was called The Goon Show. Mm -hmm. nope. I heard of The Gong Show, but not The Goon Show. Well, a goon in England doesn't mean, it means more like, an. if you did it in the States, you'd call it The Idiot Show. Oh, okay. It means more like an idiot. In, in, in this country, it means somebody who breaks your legs for not paying your gambling. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, it was this bizarre radio comedy show that, that hugely influenced. I mean, all the Monty Python guys said they grew up listening to the goons, and that was their inspiration. Uh, people from the Firesign Theater referenced the goons. Uh, it was three guys. Uh, uh, Spike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, and a very young uh, Peter Sellers, who would later go on to become a huge star. Mm -hmm. And Milligan wrote most of the scripts, and they were I, I, they were like audio sight gags. You'd have to hear the show. You either got it or you didn't. My father and I thought it was wonderful. My mother couldn't stand it. And, but I began to focus on, in particular, Peter Sellers, you know, he's been gone a long time. Are you guys even aware of him? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He uh, did about, God, I don't know, 12 or 15 different characters. You could sort of figure out it was him, but he did them in such a way that they became absolutely real. You could see them in your mind's eye. It wasn't a guy doing a funny voice. It was a, he created characters. And I was fascinated by this. How the, you know, one guy can crank out 12 or 15 really believable, interesting, funny people. And they're all coming out of the same uh, voice box. And he was a huge influence on me. And that show was a huge influence on me. And um, listening to, oh, to Jonathan Winters, because a lot of his act involved uh, character voices. I mean, everybody, everybody has stolen Maude Frickert. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Carson stole her and turned her into Aunt Blabby. Again, no. you guys may not be old enough to remember that. Oh, no, I remember. Yeah, I remember that. It's the same thing. It's an old woman that talks that. But, but Winters was the first person to do that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I used to listen to his albums just compulsively to the point where I almost had him memorized. Another huge influence was a guy named, again, you may not have heard of him, Peter Ustinov, who was a, a fascinating writer, director, actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did this album that a relative gave me. And this one I really did listen to 
thousands of times. It was a, it was called the Grand Prix du Rock. It was a satire of radio coverage of uh, sports car racing. And Ustinov did everything on the record. Sound effects. He played all the characters. He did Russians. He did Germans. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful American announcer who, uh, you know, was sort of, you know, that clueless guy Fred Willard does. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. almost <laughs> like his his grandfather. You know? Wow. And, uh, and I, I listened to that thing literally thousands of times. And suddenly, whenever I needed a German accent, suddenly I had the German accent. But I wasn't really doing a German accent. I was doing Peter Ustinov doing a German accent. But that's that's how you learn. You start out just imitating people you like and hopefully eventually develop your own your own style so uh, that's a very long-winded answer but those were some of the influences as i was growing up it, do you remember the first um the first actual cartoon voiceover role that you landed and at what point did you know that uh, you were there to stay oh i still sometimes question if i'm there to... <laughs> <laughs> now uh, the first one well i may have you know, they all sort of happened around the same time. Uh, Wally Burr was working on a on a version of Spider-Man in the early 80s. And he called me in a couple of times just to do incidental voices, just a couple of lines as, uh, you know, a cop or a construction worker or something. But the session I remember is I got called into Hanna-Barbera and I did a guest shot. On a, in an episode of Richie Rich. And I walked in there, and there they all were, like R Mount Rushmore, you know, to me. Uh, Joni Gerber, uh, Lenny Weinrib, Michael Bell, you know, uh, names that were even then legends in the voiceover business. And, and there was renowned director Gordon Hunt, and I'm in the middle of all of this, and I thought... <laughs> You know, I'm I'm waiting to get kicked out. Like, who hired this guy? He's nothing but a disc jockey faking it. But uh, somehow I got through that session, and uh, everything went uh, pretty good. And I don't know, maybe a year or two later, I breezed in to do something somewhere, and it suddenly occurred to me: I guess I'm 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 making a go of this. I mean, they, if they were going to throw me out, they'd have done it by now. I guess I'm okay. Yeah, I you know you, you know you talk about you're listening to all these old albums and everything else, and the funny thing is for me as a kid, I'm 35 now, so when I was a kid at six years old, when Transformers the movie came out, granted we didn't really have the technology to do this properly back then. Mm -hmm. I always wanted an audio version of the entire movie <laughs> because I am to the point now in my life where I prefer listening. Like, I'll put something on to watch it but i'll end up just listening to it and doing other things not not even like housework i'll just sit here at my computer and just mm -hmm. be writing something or doing something else and yeah i am such an audiophile i it's just crazy um voice actors have a lot of characters that they cover what is your easiest character to perform and what is the hardest one in your voice on your voice well, the uh, a lot of the Transformers stuff uh, tended to uh, head in the direction of what we call throat rippers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I often, if I'm asked to give a talk to aspiring voiceover people, one of my rules is never, ever do anything in an audition that you are not prepared to do over and over and over <laughs> again for 65 episodes. You know, if I don't care how wonderful the voice is, if it starts to hurt after about 30, 40 seconds, just tell them, guys, I'm sorry, I can't I, wipe that one because I, I cannot, you know, do it without causing myself damage. You say 30 or 40 seconds, and the first thing I, I think of is, oh, my God, 12-hour Wally Burr sessions. <laughs> that's, that's the point. If it's hurting you after 30 seconds, how's it going to feel when you're, doing take 25 and you've already done, you know, God knows how many lines, you know, that, that, right. that was one of the remarkable things about the late uh, lamented Chris Latta. We used to joke that he had uh, barbed wire for vocal cords. 
Because yeah. he could just do the most amazing howling and screaming. Uh, and it never seemed to affect him in the slightest. He didn't lose his voice. He didn't seem to be in any discomfort. Uh, and that, that was not true of, of, of quite a few of us in, in that show. I know I've been podcasting for seven years now, and for me, there have been, like, I've never in seven years lost my voice, but I'll sit here and I'll record two or three different podcasts over a six-hour time period in a day, and even after talking all six hours, I remember a couple of years ago, we were doing a San Diego Comic-Con audio play-by-play as the news came out, and I was there for all six and a half hours of that show, and my voice still didn't crack. So I don't know. I, I must have some barbed wire in my cords, too. Well, you know, if you find a, a good placement, uh, mm. theoretically, you should be able to go, uh, you know, indefinitely. Where you get into trouble is when you, you know, create a voice like this, and oh boy, I'll, I'll get this job. And then it's Wally's going, all right, take 35, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, Neil, what type of characters do you like playing the best? Do you like playing good guys, bad guys, serious characters, funny characters? What, what appeals to you the most? Well, the most fun, and I think probably every actor would tell you this, is a character that's conflicted. Uh, that was what I particularly liked about Shipwreck and G.I. Joe. Everybody else in that show was either super, super good or super, super bad. Right, right. And Shipwreck was kind of on the fence. <laughs> you know, he wanted to be a good guy, but he didn't like following orders. So he would decide to do it his way and somehow muddle through. And that's what that made him a really great character to play. Much more fun than just some square-jawed hero type who uh, keeps saying, here I am to save the day, over and over again. So, and, uh, when, when coming in with a voice for a brand new character uh, in an audition, you know, a character that's not established or anything like that, what process do you go through in finding what you believe to be the right voice for that character? Well, I, I don't think I'm that much different from the rest of the folks in the business. Uh, you show up, uh, if you're smart, you show up half hour early, and they've got a couple of pictures of the character and maybe a paragraph or two description. Some descriptions are helpful, uh, some are laughably silly. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read for some characters where they say, uh, he led the revolt in... Uh, uh, the, on the planet Baldistar, and then he joined uh, this, and then he went over there, and I'm going, this is fascinating, Skippy. What the hell does he sound like? Do you want a high voice, low voice? Do you want an accent? But that they won't tell you, but they'll tell you reams about, you know, that he led the slave revolt on the planet <laughs> Krellman, which is, is not that helpful, uh, frankly. Right. But anyway, if it's a good paragraph... Uh, the, uh, sometimes they'll say, listen, we don't even, we don't know what we want. We're open to anything you've got. Or they'll say, w we think we want a gruff voice for this guy, what, whatever. And then some of the characters that you read for are so outlandish uh, that it's anybody's guess what they should sound like. So you absorb all of this. And then if all goes well, you begin to hear a voice in your head that you think would fit this character. And then the trick is to try to reproduce it once you get up to the microphone. And that's kind of the process. I know you've done a lot of voiceover, but is there one particular line that you absolutely believe is your favorite line that you've ever said? Well, I've got better things to do uh, tonight than die. Uh, <laughs> has been quoted to me so often that I've decided that's probably the one that, if anything, anything ends up being remembered, that'll be the line. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch it, but I remember uh, in the episode, and I, I know you guys don't really remember episode by episode, but in the episode, The Burden Hardest to Bear, I remember Springer was like, that idiot, I'm going to punch him. He, he knocked, he went on, it, it was something about Springer getting mad at Rodimus for something. And I was like, oh man, that would have been a fun voice session to be a fly on the wall for. 
Well, <sighs> sadly, I'm not. That one's not coming back. I'm yeah. Out of yeah. Uh, have you ever had an interaction or a moment where a fan did not believe you did a particular voice? Hmm. Not that I can recall. Um, no. They're, they're remarkably trusting. I've had many drinks bought for me when I tell them that I'm actually the voice of Optimus Prime. <laughs> nice. um, I feel bad in, about it, but you know. no, I don't feel bad. Um, getting into some of the series that you worked on, just a couple of them that we wanted to touch on just briefly, um, starting with the Transformers series. Obviously, I know you've been asked about that uh, a million times over your career, but uh, just in brief, tell us a little bit about your experience with that series and, and what you took away from it. Well, my agent at the time, uh, had, had made this, uh, contact with, uh, Wally Burr and she, she, uh, her name was Donna Lee Davies. She was passed away some time ago, but, uh, she had a small agency and most of us were, you know, beginners or up and comers. And Wally was very kind. He said, uh, Donna, I'll, you know, see any of your people that you care to send over, you know, for auditions. And so the first show I landed was G.I. Joe. And I actually was doing a couple of characters in G.I. Joe, and I gradually became aware that Wally was working on this other show called Transformers, about which I knew nothing. And then eventually he called me in to read for that show. And over a fairly short space of time, I booked uh, Hook, uh, Slag, and Bone Crusher. And I started working Transformers, and it was... Um, a lot of the same people that were in G.I. Joe were, were right, in Transformers. Right. So, in my, you know, when I talk to other actors who were involved in this stuff, once in a while someone will say, no, no, I only did G.I. Joe, I never did Transformers. But most of the time, everybody, you know, the people you run into did both shows. And in our minds, it's all sort of mashed up into one giant session and everybody's there. And um we don't know if we're, we're remembering doing a G.I. Joe or a Transformers, because <laughs> they were all done in the same studio, mm -hmm. and in a lot of cases with the same cast members. So uh, I do recall that um, Wally, at a certain point, had a hell of a time explaining a lot of the visuals. That That's a big part of what a, an animation director does, because he's or she has what's called the storyboard. I assume you know what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. But the actors do not have access to that. And so if my character says, oof, uh, did I stub my toe or did I get hit by a, you know, a two-ton uh, mallet? Right. I, need, right. I need to know this stuff. Or if I fell, did I fall two feet or a thousand feet? And only, only the director can give you that. And Wally was... Uh, very good at describing uh, all the physical action. But at a certain point, the Transformer stuff got so convoluted that, that he just he would throw up his hands and say, do you mind if I give you line readings? Because this stuff is just too complicated <laughs> to explain. And we said, no. I mean, most of the time actors resent line readings, but at, at that stage of the game, we didn't mind. It made things move more smoothly. Tell us a little bit about your time on Voltron as Commander Keith. Now, I do know that Jack Angel and Peter Cullen were on that series as well, but that cast was pretty much all different from the Transformers and G.I. Joe stuff, right? Um, no, because Jack, uh, I think, did Transformers. I'm not sure if he did yeah. G.I. Joe. Um, yeah, Lenny Weinrib was in Voltron, and he I don't think he did... Any G.I. Joe mm -hmm. or Transformers work. Peter Cullen, I don't even need to... <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, and then of course, Michael Bell was in uh, Voltron, and he uh, yep. he also uh, was involved in G.I. Joe and Transformers. Well, more than involved, he played many <laughs> yeah. roles. So, and then B.J. Ward, and I'm pretty sure she did some uh, Transformers as well. So... Uh, 
Was there a difference between the Transformers and G.I. Joe sessions and the Voltron sessions? Wasn't there... Because I don't, I don't think Wally was doing the Voltron stuff. Was no, he? That was, that was completely, Wally yeah. was a completely different organization. Uh, Voltron was interesting. I, I really only found out uh, lately, because I did a little research for this book that I've mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, Voltron was an already existing Japanese uh, series... And actually what they did was they bought the rights to three different series, and the idea was to somehow mash them up into one show. Right. And then they took a look at what they had, and because of cultural differences and language differences, they realized they couldn't just sort of translate these Japanese shows into English and revoice them. Mm. Essentially, they, they wrote stuff from scratch and then found footage that worked for it it had to be like putting a, a damn um, uh, what do you call it those puzzles oh yeah <laughs> I can't think of not cross uh, um, you know what I mean yeah <clears throat> uh, going uh, so, behind so, well just, just to so I, we would show up we, we did not work as a full cast which we did in Transformers and Voltron, each actor worked separately because the lines had to be timed. Uh, Some poor devil at the office would time (laughs) lip movements, and then every line you had would have a number next to it, like 6.5, and that meant you got to do this line in 6.5 seconds. And they would allow you a tenth either way. You could do six four or six six, but anything else, you had to do it over again. And many's the time. That's a wonderful line reading, but you're two seconds long. Oh God! And um, so, yeah, a lot of it had to do with hitting hitting timings, which of course was not a consideration when we did GI Joe and Transformers because the picture hadn't been done yet. They would animate to what we did. So with Voltron, we were sort of working backwards, trying to fit trying to fit the picture. So they were very, they were very different sessions, and a lot of the time I didn't have a clue what the hell the plot was or the storyline, because <laughs> you weren't you know you weren't doing it in context. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like it was kind of like what it's like to do these games now. <laughs> yeah, except with the games, you're you know it's you in a booth alone for twelve hours a day or four hours a day or whatever it is. Well, that's that's the way it was with Voltron. We went in one at a time. I would come out, and Peter Cullen would be coming in. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Good to see you. And that was it. I, I would leave, and he would do his thing. Yeah. All right, going behind the scenes a bit. Did do you ever go back and watch any of the shows you worked on after they've been completed to hear what you sounded like or to see how it all came together, either right away or years later? Well, there's usually a tremendous lag time between the time you do the thing and the time it gets on the air. But mm-hmm. I would try. Yeah, I always tried to watch at least a couple uh, just to get a feel for what they the whole thing looked like when it came together. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In case I needed to know uh, how, how it all looked put together. But, uh, you know, I, I don't sit around watching a lot of stuff that I've, I've done. You know, to me, the fun is doing it, not, mm-hmm. not watching it later. Okay. Do you have any bizarre humorous audition stories? Bizarre or humorous audition stories. Um, I don't know. The 
I don't know if you're interested in the the, the shipwreck. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> it's kind of a long, involved uh, story. But before I even got into voiceovers, uh, one of the things that gave me some hope that I might be able to do animation was uh, I was working for a radio station in San Diego and working with another fellow, we, we started doing this comedy show that ran on the weekends uh, called The Adventures of the O.B. Ranger. And this was a satirical, lighthearted look at the <laughs> marijuana scene in San Diego in the early 70s when it was just a quaint little cottage industry. And uh, the O.B. Ranger was, was sort of a takeoff on the Lone Ranger, but he was a bumbling... Uh, he was a narc, but he was a bumbling idiot, and he, he kept screwing everything up. And Anyway, I played a bunch of characters in this thing, and one of them was a, the leader of the, uh, the, the gang that, was, that the OB Ranger was trying to bust. And he was a guy named Panama Red, and he was loaded out of his mind, and he kind of sounded like this. And periodically people would say, you know, that kind of sounds like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I would say, really? Uh, could have fooled me. Okay. So that show's over and done with. Uh, it's in the past. I'm now in voiceovers. I'm in L.A. I show up to read for Shipwreck. And I do a couple of different voices, and I'm, there's various people there, and I'm looking in the booth which is what you do. You kind of look to see if anybody's jumping in the air and high-fiving. <laughs> and I could tell that no one was particularly thrilled with what I had done. And there was a guy at the audition. I never saw him again. I don't know who he was, but he looked at me and he said, did you ever see a movie called The Last Detail? And The Last Detail is a movie that Jack Nicholson did. And it's sort of, he got nominated for an Academy Award. He didn't win. And then he had a huge win uh, a couple of years later with Chinatown, I think. And, and people sort of forgot about the last detail. But basically, he he plays a sailor named Badass Badusky. <laughs> and there's a particular scene in there. You can find it on YouTube. Look up Jack Nicholson, the last detail bar scene. And I, the minute he said have you seen the movie The Last Detail? I thought, that's what they want. They want Nicholson as badass Badusky or some variation on that. And I mm -hmm. thought, I've got this stoner voice that people say sounds like him. What if I took the weed away from him and, got, and filled him full of coffee <laughs> and made him kind of hyper? And, uh, you know, I started doing that, and boy, suddenly everybody's jumping in the air and high-fiving. <laughs> And the guy who mentioned the last detail uh, points a finger at me and says, you got it, which is usually the kiss of death. <laughs> but about a week later, uh, Donna called and said, you got that sailor part in G.I. Joe. And, awesome. uh, so it all sort of flowed together over a long period of time. Awesome. Are there any... Crazy off-the-wall, behind-the-scenes moments you can tell us about from Transformers or any of your other voiceover sessions. Any Frank Wilger stories that we haven't heard yet? Boy, well, Frank Welker stories, uh, you know, for a guy who has as much uh, talent and success as Frank, you couldn't meet a nicer, more humble human being. I think of some of the people I've known over the years who were so full of themselves and didn't have a tenth of Frank's talent. And uh, he's just the nicest guy and no ego at all. It, it's, it's astonishing. But the story I always tell about Frank is he, I forget if it was G.I. Joe or Transformers, but he had a scene where he was playing both characters and they were having an argument. Now, normally, when you get in a situation where two of your characters are interacting, the director will say, well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do one voice all the way through and I'll feed you the lines? Or, or do you want to try to do both at the same time? And, you know, 
depending on how long the scene is, sometimes I'll try to do both, and sometimes I'll say, now let's do each one separately. Frank just rolled into it. And you, you guys know what uh, overlapping? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've heard this one. <laughs> I know this story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead, tell it. I know it, but go ahead. So Frank rolls into this thing, and, of course, Wally never looked at us. There was no reason to. He had his face down. He's looking at the storyboard to make sure everything fit. And Frank is blazing through this scene. It's astonishing. And suddenly, Wally gets on the button. He goes, no, we've got to go back. We had an overlap. <laughs> and we're all screaming at him, how can there be an overlap? Frank is doing both voices. You can't overlap <laughs> yourself. And, of course, Wally was... Uh, terribly embarrassed and apologized profusely but i mean that's how good frank is he got in and out of these two voices so fast wally who's listened to a million hours of this stuff thought he heard an overlap and that's it's astonishing were, were you ever present when he would uh also play tricks on the uh the other side of the glass with the sound effects oh, oh, or... yeah. yeah he if he gets bored yeah he he makes this sound he's not moving a muscle in his face that you can see but it sounds exactly like a piece of electronic uh, gear starting to burn up <laughs> and i've seen more than one engineer dive under the console look, <laughs> looking around for smoke and you look over at frank and he's got this little smile <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. He doesn't, um, do it. he doesn't do it often. Just uh, every now and then, when he gets bored, I guess. I don't. Know. Has Has there ever been a role or a show that um, you've taken a part in that uh, later on you wish you wouldn't have, or vice versa, something you turned down that you you wish you wouldn't have in retrospect? I've never turned anything down. I'm not at a level where you can. I mean, I you know I turned down non-union work and stuff like right. that. I mean. Anything legit? No, I mean, if they want me, um, I'm I'm there. Uh, something I regretted. Regrets, I have a few, but far <laughs> too few to mention. No, I don't really think there's anything uh, anything I could I could cite that I that I wish I hadn't done. Uh, sometimes I think back to stupid crap I did on the radio, and I wish I could take that back. <laughs> But as far as the voiceovers, no, I don't. I don't have any anything I regret. What would have been some of the uh, favorite or most enjoyable shows that you worked on, or some of the ones that were a little bit more maybe tedious or 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 not as fun to work on? Oh, well, I did a show um, called Kissy Fur, which mercifully has been forgotten. <laughs> Until now. <laughs> and I played a pig named Dwayne. And at the audition, just to crack everybody up, I thought, here, here's again my rule, don't do anything in, a, in an audition you're not prepared to do for 65 episodes. I just, I just made this, I did this voice that was just very, very uh, flamboyant, shall we say. And instead of laughing, they said, oh, that's perfect. And I ended up doing that, doing that for 65 episodes. Lenny Weinrib played my father in the show. <laughs> and every time I would go into this voice, he would fall off his chair laughing. <laughs> I'd say, Lenny, please. <laughs> this is tough enough without you, you know, going into, into hysterics every time I do this. <laughs> So I, I, I don't regret doing that show, but I, let me put it this way. I didn't drive into work whistling zippity-doo-dah. <laughs> I can't believe that was an NBC show. Well, that, that uh, there is one funny story connected with that, although I, I, you guys probably don't remember Lenny Bruce at all. Um, I've heard the name. Yeah, he was... He was a brilliant uh, comedian ahead of his time, and uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, this is a long, involved story, and I don't know that it's going to pay off that well. So, all right. Um, I, I, let me put it this way: I just remember that this the, one of the first. It may have been the first Kissy for a session. 
in addition to the director and his assistant and the engineer, there were five, count them, five suits from the network in there. Jeez. Oh, no. And we would, every time, we would do a line, and they would sit in there and argue with themselves for like five minutes about what we never knew. And then they'd get on the button and go, okay, do it again, with no direction. Hmm. And we're, this is the first episode, and, you know, when you're about ten shows in, they think twice before they fire you, because they got to replace all the lines you've done, but... If they don't like you on the <clears throat> pilot episode, they can just replace you in two seconds. So we're all sweating bullets. And I just remember that as the session from hell. <laughs> and there's a funny story connected with it, but it's just too involved. <laughs> if you could still be working on any one show that you've worked on in the past, which show would it be and why? Hmm. Boy, I would be open to... to uh, either G.I. Joe or Transformers again in some fashion. Okay. That was a lot of fun. I'm surprised they didn't put Shipwreck in the uh, Renegades cartoon that was out a few years ago. Or maybe they did. I don't remember. I didn't watch that show that much. Uh, has there ever been a show that you were involved with that either you were very surprised became successful or that you were very sure was going to be a big hit that didn't end up lasting very long? Yeah, we just, it, it, it's really hard. I mean, people say, boy, did you, back in the day, did, did, did you ever think that G.I. Joe and Transformers would be remembered? And, and the answer is no. I mean, the, the climate back when we did those shows, the prevailing wisdom was uh, they're aimed at 12 to 14-year-old boys or, or girls, and they will outgrow this stuff, and the show will end because there'll be a new crop of kids, and they don't want, the show their older brother watched. They want their own show. So none of these things were expected to last more than a few years. Thankfully, I was an only child, and I got attached to everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but I do remember one show that you probably <clears throat> have never heard of. <clears throat> Excuse me. What the hell was the title? I can't even remember the title. It. <laughs> They didn't even run all 13 episodes. They cut it off in, after the 11th episode. It was about a uh, a school, and we had so damn much fun doing it. We were just <laughs> laughing our asses off. We thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and it just died. We couldn't believe it. And now I'm, I'm spacing the title. It probably wouldn't mean anything to you anyway, because they just ran 11 episodes and dumped it, and it was never heard from again. But we were all very disappointed, because we were having so much fun doing it. See, that's the thing. you <laughs> They say, happy set, crappy picture. <laughs> yeah. um, which voice actors did you most look up to when you were making the transition from radio in, into the voiceover world? Which, which ones did you look up to most then? Um, and, and which ones do you look up to still today that are still around? Well, the, you know, as I mentioned the, the Richie Rich thing. There, there were, there was a cadre of people who'd been doing it for a while at Hanna-Barbera, uh, Folks like Dawes Butler, and I mentioned, uh, of course, June Foray, um, Joni Gerber, Lenny Weinrib, Michael Bell. I'm maybe forgetting a few folks, but, you know, they were kind of the, the stars back then. And the rest of us were all up-and-comers. I, I, Peter Cullen sort of came out of the world of uh, uh, on-camera. Mm -hmm. And and sort of I, I'm not quite sure how he got into voiceovers, but uh, now looking back, and again I'm going to slight some people, but just popping into my head are you say who do you look up to? Of course, is Frank. We've already mentioned him, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Rob Paulson, Jim Cummings. Uh, Peter, of course, Peter Cullen, uh, Chris Lada, rest his soul. Uh, 
God, just about everybody I worked with. I mean, there, there were just no slouches in those shows. Everybody was wonderful. And I just felt very lucky to have uh, snuck in there somehow. And well, we're glad you did. Well, me too. <laughs> um, are there any voice actors that you that you stay close with or that you're close friends outside of the booth too in, in your real life, comings and goings? Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, ge geography kind of... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kind of gets in the way. It's it's tough to, <clears throat> you know, I'm down here in uh, Rancho Palos Verdes overlooking uh, the Blue Pacific. And a lot of these folks are in the extreme West Valley. And it's, uh, you know, two days gotcha. Gotcha. to get there. And you have to fight off uh, road agents and uh, all of that. And, so we don't, unfortunately, get to see each other that often. But when we do, there's great affection. Uh, I saw Peter well, maybe a year or so ago, and it was it was delightful to run into him and and chat a bit. And I did. Uh, Rob Paulson has a sort of a continuing thing that he does at the Improv, where he right. does this show called Talking Tunes, and I did that a while back. And again, it was. A lot of fun to work with Rob and see him again, but unfortunately, I, I don't see these folks that that often these days, which is unfortunate. Though. I'd say the coolest thing I've seen you in in the past, I don't know, ten, I don't know, five or six years or so, is when you did the special feature for the Shout Factory Transformers set when you guys did that roundtable. That was awesome. You and Frank and man, that was great. Yeah, I was glad we got to do that. I. Um, I, I thought this, this, if I was a fan, I would want to see something like this. Right, right. And uh, so, I, yeah, it was very, very good of them to put that together and, and include that in the package. Neil, I, I also uh, am, work on a website called BehindTheVoiceActors.com, uh, kind of like a, an IMDb database of, of voice actor roles. And we'll be promoting this interview a little bit over there as well. I just wanted to... A lot of people there are interested in the business, et cetera, and we get the same question a lot, which we can't really answer as well since we're not in the business. How hard would you say is it for those folks to make it into the voice acting business, and, and what advice, just a brief advice, would you have for anybody that's trying to start out? Well, it's gotten a lot tougher. The field is much more crowded. Um, you, you know, the... The odds are against you, but then the odds are always against you if it's something that, that's really worthwhile and to, a lot of people are going to want to get in there. And hey, Advice, um, well, I would say take advantage of any opportunity to perform in any way, shape, or form. I don't, you know, go down to the bus station and announce incoming buses if that's all you can do. Or a, a community theater, just anything. Because a, a big hurdle is is just getting comfortable enough to walk into an audition and be able to focus on really nailing a character, as opposed to I don't know if they like me or not. And that guy's looking at me funny, and I did not, you know, maybe I should have worn the other shirt. And uh, <laughs> you know, you know, people say, "Geez, you know, I, I maybe I should do this stuff." I mean, at Thanksgiving, my I crack my relatives up around the table, and I, you know, I maybe I don't say this, but I there's a huge difference between making your aunt Minnie laugh, who loves you anyway. 
as opposed to showing up on a Monday morning in Burbank for a bunch of strangers who aren't that thrilled to be there. Right, right. And say, all right, what do you got, kid? But I, I would say persistence and and work ethic. Uh, it, it it's it's so simple now. There are all kinds of little recording devices. Uh, when the Sunday paper comes, pull the funnies out and just try to do every character in the funny papers, and record it and see what it sounds like. It's great advice. Yeah. Um, just a few fun questions. Uh, we're almost done here. Um, a couple ones I'm curious about here. How fun was it getting to do voice work in some of the live action films that you've done that have uh, become cult favorites like Back to the Future 2, Dick Tracy, Gremlins 2. You did uh, various voices in some of those. Was it, How fun was that? Well, it's it's always fun to even be a tiny little part of a, a major motion picture. I mean, it's exciting. And... Um, you know, to get to work, meet and work with people like uh, Robert Redford and uh, Warren Beatty is, uh, you know, it's incredibly exciting. And, uh, yeah, those are some of my fonder memories. And give me an honest answer. Is there anyone that does a better announcer voice than you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of people. Um, I, I, obviously, you you know you mentioned the ones you're starting out with with GI Joe and, and Transformers and, and whatnot, where you were playing um, some some pretty major characters and, and some more side characters. But then it seemed like you had a a track of time where you you landed a, a great number of leading roles there in the '80s with uh, uh, Ace McCloud on Centurions, Rambo and Rambo Forces of Freedom, uh, Herc Armstrong and Inhumanoids, <clears throat> and a, and a bunch of other ones that I could mention. Um, how fun was it to kind of make that transition and, and get some uh, a whole string of leading roles there for some of those cartoons? It was a very, uh, very heady uh, time. In fact, uh, well, when I before I ever got into radio, when I was still a high school student, I met a, a radio guy. He happened to live in the same neighborhood I did, and he was very kind to me and listened to my nonsense and gave me some very good advice. And, and one of the best pieces of advice he gave me was, uh, he said, now, this isn't going to mean much now, but I want you to remember it. And I said, okay. And he said, kid, don't ever start believing your own bullshit <laughs> because uh, that's the beginning of the end. And I remember a day somewhere in that period where for about 90 seconds, I started to believe my own bullshit. Uh, I I just felt very full of myself and on top of the world and uh, quite arrogant. And I I was sailing down Vine uh, Street past the Capitol Records Tower and uh, I'm bad I'm nationwide by ZZ Top was on the radio and I had it cranked up to full volume and as I say I was starting to believe my own bullshit and then I got stopped at a red light at sunset and the song ended and I suddenly I could hear this guy's voice in my head kid don't ever start and I thought oh my god you know I almost started there hmm. and I stopped and I and I never did again <laughs> but yeah it you sort of get a little mini idea of what it must be like to be a, a, a Tom Cruise or a George Clooney in a very miniature way and um but you know that that that's the arc of the career. If you're lucky, mm -hmm. uh, you get these parts, and then you get a little bit older, and suddenly uh, other guys are getting those parts, and you're doing the character stuff. And that's, I read a wonderful thing by an English actor. He said, uh, "The arc of a career: you start out playing one of the two soldiers in the uh, ghost scene in Hamlet, and then." Maybe you work your way up to playing uh, Laertes or uh, Horatio, and then perhaps with luck you actually get to play the melancholy Dane himself, and then you get a little too old for that, and now maybe you play the king or you play Polonius. <laughs> and he says, if all goes well, by the end of your career, you're playing the skull. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite to the skull yet, but... Uh, 
I can uh, see it. I can see it coming. Oh, Don't come on that. now. Don't say that. Uh, you've been to a few of the fan conventions. What are your thoughts on them? I resisted doing that for a long time. I had this vision of me sitting at a card table somewhere in a huge hall being ignored. <laughs> and uh, people kept saying, no, 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 uh, the fans love you, you should do this. And I finally, I thought, they had a BotCon in Pasadena, mm -hmm. and they asked me to attend, and I thought, you know, it's just Pasadena. If I get there and it sucks, I'll just give them their money back and go home. <laughs> and, oh, God, I had a wonderful time. Just couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, I've been doing various uh, conventions ever since. Some are better than others. Um, but I always have a great deal of, of fun, and I love meeting the fans. And I've always been treated wonderfully at these, these things. So I'm sorry I didn't start doing it sooner. <laughs> I bet that's what Frank is saying these days, considering this year was his very first BotCon ever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I haven't talked to him. I, I know he... Uh, yeah, sort of was resistant like, like I was, and I don't know what uh, changed his mind, but uh, yeah, I saw where he's starting to do that stuff. I don't know if he's going to start doing it like full-time, but this was this this year's BotCon to me was really special because, oh my God, we've never been able to have him there, and it's just one of those things where, you know, he went and I, I saw the panel with him and and whatever else, and I, I you know, I, I talked to several people that actually went to BotCon and said, oh yeah, he was saying that, you know, he wished he had done it sooner, doesn't know why he did it. I personally think it's what Rob Paulson always says, and what everybody in your all's profession says about Frank Welker, he's just a private guy. He does, you know, he goes in, he does the work, and he goes home and has his life. Yeah, pretty much, that's the impression I get. Um, yeah. And as I said, the uh, Utterly devoid of attitude or ego, one of the, mm -hmm. very humble guy and uh, nicer fellow you, you, you're never going to meet. Before we let you go, would you like to remind our listeners and fans of anything you have coming up? I know you, you, you've been mentioning your, this book you're working on. Can you give us any kind of detail or anything on that or no? Well, as I, I think I said, it's just basically my life in radio and voiceovers. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to talk a whole lot about it because if you talk about it, then you don't end up writing it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, the only other question I'll ask about it is because I'm curious, because I know Dan Gilvezan did this with his book. Are you going to do an audiobook version of it? You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Okay. Um, I may end up printing five copies to leave to my grandchildren, assuming I have any then that they can throw away or... <laughs> You know, I, I thought before I get involved in any of that stuff, I should at least have a completed first draft. Mm -hmm. You know, once that's done, then I'll start exploring how do you market this, what's the best way to go about it. But I, I want to have, whoever I approach, I want to be able to say, I have a first draft. It's It's ready to go. All right, we would like to thank Mr. Ross for taking the time with us here on this All Things Transformers TFG podcast crossover interview here on the Geekcast Radio Network. Where can the people interact with you online, sir, if anywhere? Um, interact with me. <laughs> well, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, but I hardly ever go there. Okay. And uh, I have a website if you want to listen to demos and stuff like that. It's really for the buyers, but I don't mind if fans go on there and poke around. It's a very clever name. It's neilross.com. I paid a consultant a fortune to come up with that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's about it. I, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not good with social media. Uh. I'm some, something of a Luddite. <laughs> I've never tweeted, uh, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't know how. It just gets people in trouble. <laughs> well, I, I, tweet, well, I tweeted when I played Dwayne the Pig, but that's over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will ask you to hold the line. Kevin and I will be back after this. All right. Nobody would listen to an uncharismatic bore like you. 
It's rough out there, kid. All right, folks, there you go. About an hour or so interview with Mr. Neil Ross uh, from Transformers, G.I. Joe, Jim, Voltron, all your favorite 80s properties. Well, that's it, dude. You're not getting another birthday present this year. <laughs> I know you're not talking to me. Yeah, I am talking to you. <laughs> no, it's, always, it's always fun to, uh, to interview these guys. I'm looking forward to possibly in the future doing uh, a lot more um, with, with both you guys and with Behind the Voice Actors. But it's, a, it's always fun. Um, it's been a while, I think, since uh, we talked to Rob Paulson. And let's see, I was on Maurice LaMarche and, and Larry Kenny. But, uh, uh, yeah, when, in the very beginning of this interview, when I asked Neil about the, um, about the upcoming projects and he started mentioning non-disclosures, I almost told him the story of the Maurice LaMarche flub that we had. Yeah. <laughs> Say, well, just so you know, we've had experience with that. We don't want anyone else to get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is, you know, all things Transformers. We just had our 50th. Steve just had the 50th episode. He is, I can go ahead and speak for him because I know that this is what he told me. He, you know, he, Steve Megatron went to BotCon this year, as you heard in episode 50, and he's kind of reinvigorated with the fandom. So all things Transformers will be coming back in version 3.0 with episode 51. Um, but this will be featured on there and on the original TFG1 podcast feed. Um, I do have plans to get a few other voice actors, uh, Transformers-based voice actors, so that's that's kind of what's coming up. Uh, but no, talking with Neil Ross is just absolutely hilarious and, and great. And he's a very self-deprecating kind of guy. Like, I wasn't really expecting that. Like, I wasn't really expecting him to be that guy of oh yeah nobody wants to listen to me <laughs> how how much he could be mistaken yeah exactly <laughs> i think he found that out when he visited the went to his first convention yep so yeah always great uh sounds like a really great guy and it was a lot of fun listening to, or talking to him yep absolutely anything else you want to say before we get out of here nope all right transform and roll out transform transcend all that good stuff we will catch you next time Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.